Father, we're so thankful um, that we can be in such a house where there is a freedom in the Spirit, freedom of your Word, freedom of your Holy, of, for the Holy Ghost to move. Oh, Spirit of God, we know that um, it is you that makes the kingdom real. We just submit to you this morning. Uh, we know the letter kills, but it is you that gives life, and it is you that quickens us. So quicken us, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I've been uh, dealing uh, with a series on family matters, uh, family matters, talking about issues of family. And we have examined the fact that um, family is God's idea. It's God's idea. Uh, he is the one that made them male and female, and he blessed them, and he gave them um, dominion over all the works of his hands. And uh, in order to be effective on the earth, in whatever status you are in, it is important that we bow our knees before God and, and embrace his wisdom. Uh, whether you're single or married, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, um, there is wisdom in the Word of God um, that would help you live what we call the high life. Uh, the high life is life as God ordained it. Amen. It's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. Uh, it's a life where you would fulfill purpose and destiny. Um, but some things have to be taught, some things have to be learned, because they don't come naturally. Now, the caveat I'll put, uh, or the disclaimer I'll make, or the caveat I'll introduce at this point, is that um, as I deal with this series, um, if you're just here for a service, uh, understand that you're just getting a part of it. All right? So don't judge me too quickly based on the part you here, okay? Online, we have all the rest of the messages, the ones that have gone before this, and the ones that will go after this. They're all online on, uh, at highlifechurch.com, and they're available for free. You can download them. You can listen to them. And um, so that will give you the full picture. So every service is just a part. Now, it's important to say that because um, sometimes, you know, on YouTube, you see these videos, and they give you a clip of some pastor saying something, and you think, how in the world could she say that, you know? And uh, I have been guilty of saying that myself. How could she say that? But when you hear the whole message, it, you know, puts it in perspective. So today, I'm going to be talking about um, the glory of Eve. This is the third and final part of this mini-series where we're focusing on Eve and the ladies, you can be consoled at the fact that next week we'll be talking about Adam, okay? So we've talked about Eve for two weeks. This is the third week. And um, the glory of Eve. And we're talking about wives and husband-wife relationships as um, indicated or, or taught in Scripture and how they should work effectively. Now, we've learned uh, that Adam bears the likeness of God in his fierce, wild, and passionate heart, uh, while Eve embodies the beauty, the mystery and the tender vulnerability of God. Now, we know that uh, it's not in every sense that a man is fierce because a man should be tender also. And it's not in every, in every sense that a, a woman is just vulnerable. She can be wild and fierce as well. But we're just talking about broad principles here. Um, there is a glory of God that um, the masculine would um, reveal... Um, but there's also a glory of God that only the woman can reveal. The Bible says all have sinned 
and fallen short of God's glory. We all fell short of God's standard, but thank God Jesus came and he went to the cross and he died and rose again from the dead and that glory has been restored. Say to your neighbor, the glory has been restored. So you and I can be men and, and husbands and fathers as God ordained us to be, irrespective of our history. And you as women can be women and wives and mothers as God ordained you to be, irrespective of your history. Yeah, But we need to come and conform to what the word says. Hallelujah. Because in the revelation of the glory of God through the woman, that revelation is always feminine to its core. You don't have to put down your femininity in order to fulfill God's plan for your life, irrespective of what society is saying to us in this day. The glory of God through the woman is always feminine to its core. If feminine behavior does not seem natural to you, it is just because you weren't trained or raised that way. It doesn't mean it's not right for you. We all need training. You know, in Proverbs 22 verse 6, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go so that when he grows up, he will not depart from it. All right? The way a child should go is the result of proper training. If you don't train a child properly, they will not grow up properly. Amen. If a child somehow gets up and says, you know, I'm going to do what comes natural to me. How many of you know that that child is not going to develop properly? There is a structure of training of children that the word of God has stipulated the parents must do. To train means to teach a particular skill or type of behavior through sustained practice and behavior. To train means to teach a particular skill or type of behavior through sustained what? Practice. All right? So children are trained up through practice. Through practice. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I didn't know how to button my shirt. The physical dexterity needed to button my shirt properly didn't come naturally. My parents informed me that I had the muscles for it, but I didn't, it didn't feel that way when I was trying to button my shirt. It didn't seem natural, okay? But my dad spent time training me. And now I do it, you know, like all of us, um, with ease, hopefully, okay? But you can apply that to every other aspect of life, you know, trying to knot a tie. You know, a bow tie was quite tricky, yeah? But a lot of things come with training, do they not? They come with training. They come with training. And we'll talk about children raising up children later on. You know, in the homosexual community, I have heard people say that they were born homosexual. In fact, some scientists even claim that they have discovered a homosexual gene. Yeah, one that gives people a predisposition to homosexual behavior. Now, if you're somebody that is struggling with homosexual or lesbian feelings, it is important to understand that the Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, that for this reason, the Son of Man was manifest that he will destroy the works 
of the devil. Any predisposition to evil, whether through nature or nurture, is of the devil. And from scripture, it is very clear that homosexual and lesbian behavior is satanic and does not please God. All right? So the good news is that in Christ, whatever predisposition you may have, whether as a result of nature or nurture, through the redemptive work of Jesus and the appropriation of what that redemptive blood has procured for you, you and I can be set free from it. You know, there's some people that are predisposed to having some sickness and disease in their body. They are predisposed to cancer. They are predisposed um, to all kinds of things, which scientists have shown. There are some people that are predisposed to uh, becoming serial killers and becoming child molesters. All right? But just because there is a predisposition does not mean that that is God's will for your life. Whether it is physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's psychological, whether it's spiritual, God has a plan for your life and Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for it. So what is natural needs to be redefined from scripture. Are you with me? Now let us look at the book of Titus. Chapter 2, uh, chapter two. we're going to read the first five, five verses there. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. So guys, put up the New Living Translation this morning. You know, last week we looked at Ephesians 5.21, which says that we should submit to one another in the fear of God. So Bible is the fact that, or biblical theology is the fact that when it comes to marriage relationship, to fulfill God's plan for that relationship... There is a role where the husband must play and submit to his wife. And we saw that last week. He does that by loving the wife like Christ loved the church. That is a role of death and submission. In fact, Jesus went to the cross first. So the husband has to die quicker. For him to have the kind of wife that he truly desires and God desires, he needs to go to the cross first. That's what the Bible teaches. Because Jesus went to the cross before we even acknowledged him, did he not? So that role as a husband, it's, it's, a, it's a role of honor, but it's also an honor that comes through sacrifice. And we saw that the wife submits to her husband in all things as, as, as the church submits to Christ. Okay? So in, in this series, only Christ is going to be exalted. Yeah? Only Christ is going to be exalted. Yeah? He alone is Lord. And everyone will submit under his mighty hand to be exalted in, true, in due time. Now look at this. In... Um, Verse 1 of Titus 2, it says, verse 1 says, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. He said to Titus to teach the older men to exercise what? Self-control. So it means that self-control doesn't come naturally. When you grow older, self-control doesn't kick in. All right? So it is something that he said, you need to teach the men, the older men, that they need to exercise self-control. And he talks about other things. It comes by teaching. It doesn't come naturally. 
And I said, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Now, the shame aspect refers to both. You are teaching the men and you are teaching the women. Are you with me? Now, notice he says that the older women, looks like the Lord is calling a lot of people in church this morning. If your phone rings, I'm going to call you forward to prophesy because clearly you have a word from God. Now, he says that the older women should train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So it means that loving your husband doesn't come naturally. Are you with me? It says, train them on how to love their husbands and their children. Remember, to train means to teach a particular skill or type of behavior through sustained practice and behavior. Hallelujah. So for a wife to love her husband the way he should be loved, she needs to be trained. There's certainly training required for men on how to love their wives. Don't say amen too much because your husband might uh, look in your direction. (laughs) But understand this, that training is required. Are you with me? Training is required because it doesn't happen naturally. If you say, well, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing, then you're not going to have the kind of marriage you desire or God desires. Training is required. You know, there's a right and a wrong way to treat your husband. And one of the challenges we are facing, remember this is the glory of Eve, so I have to focus in one direction. I start the glory of Adam next week, so relax with me. Okay, because I'm feeling it already. You see, the spiritual things are real. I can feel it. I can even feel the direction it's coming from. (laughs) Oh, man. You see, the challenges we are facing in our society is that some of the older women who are meant to be teaching the younger women don't know any better because they weren't trained themselves. So the younger women don't have a clue. Yeah, They don't have a clue because we can't go to society for it. The biblical pattern is that the older women should train the younger women. You know, I've seen older women embarrass their husbands in public. Yeah? A woman who embarrasses her husband in public is not very smart. Now, a man who does the same is not smart either. You are meant to affirm him, not to make him feel vulnerable. I've seen wives correcting their husbands in public, usually about some redundant detail. There have been times when you know, maybe go out to lunch or dinner with somebody and you're having a meal and everyone's having a good time and, uh, you know, the husband says something and the wife says, ah, actually, that's not actually right. Yeah? Pi is not 3.12. It's 3.145981. <laughs> I 
and you're thinking a redundant detail, um, but you put the guy in a position where he feels he has to defend himself, and he doesn't want to defend himself in front of his friends, and he doesn't at the same time don't, doesn't want to look like you know his wife is one correcting him, so he has this awkward thing. He either veers towards uh, anger or he keeps quiet, and he you know the anger is uh, you know simmering. Yes. And the wife wonders, what, what, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Um, there's something about the male ego which sometimes seems to be inflated, but God gave him that. There's a reason why men go to war. There's a reason why men are focused. There's a reason for these things. And when it comes to family relationships, um, you know, this is just an example. There are things that women do that... Um, that are the wrong way if you want to love, if you want him to know you love him. Let's be quiet in this church this morning. You know, Eve, in reflecting God's glory and reflecting the strength that God gave her, in the daughters of Eve who have learned the ways of God, they have embraced that feminine nature and they express the strength of femininity um, and they never feel they have to res resort to masculine tendencies in order to fulfill God's plan for their lives. Now, let's look at three women in Scripture. I believe these three women, um, we'll go to the fourth one if we have time. I believe these three women embrace uh, the strength of God and the wisdom of God displayed in femininity. We see a wisdom, we see a beauty. We see a boldness, and we see a, a, tact, a tact in their expression of the nature of God. And when they stayed in that place, the strength of God was displayed through their, wives, uh, through their lives. As we have looked at in scripture, men and women were created equal. We are heirs together of the grace of life. We are both made in the image and likeness of God. But each gender expresses an element of the glory of God that is unique to them. The first person I'll look at is uh, Queen Esther. I'd like us to open our Bibles to Esther chapter 4 verse 16. And you know, in the life of Esther, I would recommend everyone, male and female, just to read the book of Esther um, because we wouldn't be able to go into it in a lot of detail. But there was a, a man uh, in, uh, in the king's court called Haman. Haman was like his prime minister. He was actually the strongest person in the, uh, in the kingdom next to the king. Now, Haman had conspired against the Jews, and he had deceived the king into signing a decree to annihilate the Jews. Now, Esther was one of the many wives that the king had. So the question was, how do I get the king to see that his trusted confidant had de has deceived him? How could she approach the king? Because in law at the time, you could only approach the king if you were summoned by him. And, and if you approached him without being summoned... Um, you could be killed. Unless he stretched his scepter in your direction, um, you could be killed. So Esther had a challenge. 
Um, how would I approach the king without being summoned? If you look at Esther chapter 4, we see some, um, we see some principles that Esther used, which are godly principles that every woman and every wife can use in influencing her husband. We saw in 1 Peter 3 that a man can be won over by his wife, a man cannot be tamed. A man cannot be domesticated. A man can be won over by his wife through her conduct. Now we see what Esther did here. Look at Esther chapter 4 verse 16. Uh, I'll start from verse 15 and look at some principles. Number one, it says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to to, uh, who are present in Shushan. And fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther um, commanded him. So the first thing she did was prayer. You know, there's a book called The Power of a Praying Wife, and there's another one called The Power of a Praying Husband. There are things in your marriage that will not be changed unless you pray. As I said last week, a man, in nagging will never change a man because the man can't even change himself. Only God can change our behavior. But we have to be willing to respond to God's grace for our behavior to change. Now, our conduct or your conduct as a wife can put a man in a place where he's willing to go and seek God. And one of the things that we must do as husband and wife is we must pray for each other and we must pray concerning our marriages. I counsel a lot of couples. And when you ask people, are you praying about this? A lot of people don't spend time in prayer about their marriages. That's number one thing that Esther did. She prayed. She's fasted for three days and three nights, her and her, uh, her court, and sought the Lord for favor with, regarding, uh, with regard to this issue. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house where the king sat on his uh, royal throne in, in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight and the king held out um, to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter and the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It will be given to you up to half my kingdom. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for them. Now, understand what is happening. H Haman had conspired to annihilate the Jews. A date had been set for the whole race of the Jews to be annihilated. Esther was in a, uh, a strategic position to change things, but she didn't just go, she didn't just dart into the court of the king and um, demand audience and express what needed to be done. She used all the tools that God had given um, in her disposal, the first thing she did was she prayed. She asked God for favor. And then when she got the favor, 
she asked her husband to come to a banquet. Now, clearly, he loves banquets. In fact, the book of Esther begins with a banquet. Okay? So she asked her husband and Haman to come to a banquet. What is she using? She's using tact. Okay? Um, let's keep reading. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half of my kingdom. It shall be done. Then Esther said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Now, Esther did this twice. She invited the king to a banquet with Haman on two occasions because she knew that that would put the king in the context where when she asked, he will give her whatever she wanted. Now, I'm not saying that the husband is the king. Yeah? But what I'm saying is that there is a strength that God has given a woman that if she uses that strength, she can use that strength in her family to win her husband over and bring him to a place even where even when his behavior is out of line, she can bring him to a place of alignment with God's will and purpose for that family. We saw Esther do this. If we, um, if we go straight to um, the second um, time that, that um, he came for the meal, look at um, chapter 7. Verse 1 says, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half of my kingdom it shall be done. Then Esther said, If I have found favor on your side, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Esther, Who is he? Who is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? You know, the reason why this king spoke in such clear terms was because um, Esther had favor in his sight and he had been to two banquets. Honestly, that's the reason why he was so emphatic. Because if she had come without prayer, she may have even been killed in the first, in the first, uh, in the first instance. But she used the power that God had put at, at her disposal. She used tact. She used an understanding of her husband and what her husband likes to bring him to a place where his heart was fully open to her to give her whatever he want, she wanted. There are more men that have fought for women than women have fought for men. Are you with me? But there is a strategy which a young wife needs to be taught of how to call on your husband's strength. There's a strength that a husband has that he will lay down for his wife, but a wife needs to learn how to call on that husband's strength. Hallelujah. We see another incident in the life of Ruth. We know the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth came back or came to Bethlehem with um, her mother-in-law, Naomi. And um, it was a very tough time for them as a family. 
And if you look at Ruth chapter 3, we see an incident here where Ruth used what God had put in her disposal, her femininity, to call on the strength of a man. And she eventually married that man and became part of the ancestry of the Lord Jesus himself. Look at Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter when you get home. It says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, uh, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young women we were with, is he not your relative? In fact, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall take note, you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So she went to the threshing floor and did according to her mother-in-law instructed. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went, to, she went to, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and laid down. And it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and said, there's a woman, uh, 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 and um, he turned himself and there a woman was lying at his feet and he said, who are you? So he, she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is, a, it is true that I'm close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Now, in, um, in Jewish culture, coming under someone's wing, uh, uncovering his feet was essentially a claim for marriage. It was calling on, it was a way in which they demonstrated the fact that they wanted his protection, they wanted his covering, and Ruth did that. You know, sometimes people say that, you know, the Bible says that um, um, if a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And they assume that what that means is that women are not meant to be uh, finding or looking at all. A man is meant to look for a woman. Um, well, uh, Ruth understood who she wanted, and she used her tact and her wisdom to call on his strength. You know, it was in a movie I watched where they said that the man might be the head, but the woman is the neck, because she turns him in whatever direction she wants to go. But it is important that she understands the strength that God has given her and uses it in a way um, that uh, glorifies God and wins the husband over to, him, over to herself. Ruth did that. Ruth did that. There's a femininity in a woman that God has blessed her with um, that is meant to be used to win a man over. Amen. Now, of course, the devil twists this, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We see another incident of a woman called Abigail. Abigail is um, a woman who was married to a fool. Um, it is possible for a woman to be married to a fool. In fact, name Nabal, who was, the, uh, who was her husband, his name meant fool. Now, Nabal was a wicked man. Uh, he was wicked in all he did. He was, um, you know, he was a glutton. 
and, um, and that was his name. And he was very foolish. Now, how does a woman act when she is married to a foolish man? Well, if you look at the, um, the book of 1 Samuel, you will see how Abigail acted. Even though this was a foolish man she was married to. Her conduct was feminine to its core, but what she did was she saved her husband through her conduct. Now, he eventually died, but that's another matter. But in her action, her conduct saved her husband, even though her husband was an unrighteous man, he was a wicked man, and in this particular situation, he had exercised very poor judgment. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 2, it says, Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was sharing his sheep in, in, uh, in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Now, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be your house, peace be to all that you have. Now I've heard that you have sharers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them. All the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please, whatever comes to your hand to your servants, or whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, uh, or please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David. And they waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many, many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my sharers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from. So David's men heard, uh, turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his, man, or to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 uh, went with David. And 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, before we continue, just to put, the con uh, put context to this. David and his mighty men, there were about 400 of them where uh, on the run, this was before David became king, and um, um, they, were, they were sort of, they were on the run, and clearly in this particular scenario, um, when they came across the, the, the herd of Nabal, they actually took care of, of the, um, the protected, their um, Nabal's um, shepherds, they did not take any of the sheep for themselves, so David was just asking him that, you know, give us a token, uh, appreciate what we've done, we need help, we're hungry, uh, we're coming to a feast day, you know, show some courtesy to us. Now, the way Nabal dealt with David was clearly the way he dealt with his family. That was the way he spoke to his wife. That was the way he dealt with his affairs. He was an evil man. He was harsh in all he did. There are some men that are harsh. That is not what God has ordained for a husband to be, as we've seen in Ephesians chapter 5. And when a man is harsh at home, he will make his, his family or his, the environment of his house intolerable for his wife and his children. But there is still a way 
that a wife must act in order to hold any chance of bringing redemption to that family. And we see that in the behavior of Abigail um, in this scenario when she was told about what Nabal had done. Look at verse um, 14 says, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. There was a wall, there were a wall to us both by day and by night. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, consider, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all our household, for he is such a scoundrel that, that one cannot speak to him. Now, some women would have taken this opportunity to leave home. Because if harm is due to this man, this evil man, then uh, let the Lord do what he wills and let me move out of the way. All right? But that is not what uh, a daughter of Sarah will do. Because a daughter of Sarah with her behavior demonstrates that she puts her trust in God. And the Bible says in verse 18 that Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sears of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me. Um, see, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Okay? She used discretion. Um, and basically, she went to David. Uh, look at verse 23. Because of time, it says, Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, Oh me, my Lord, on me and my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. Please let your maidservant speak in your ears. Hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal for us. His name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord, basically she spoke to David with tact, with humility, she used her discretion and she begged for her husband. Okay? And look at how David responded. Verse 32 says, David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord of Israel leaves, who has kept me back from hurting you? Unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to neighbor. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and, she, and said to her, go in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now, what is the person that David respected? David respected a, a, a person that came with humility, with love, with tact, um, and uh, he won, uh, she won him over. There were 600 men that were coming with David to destroy Nabal. And the woman Abigail stood in their path, and using the strength that God had given her as a woman, uh, she brought um, David to a place of conciliation where he was willing to listen to the voice of this young woman. She saved her husband, she saved her family that day, using the strength that God has given her. 
Um, now look at what happens. Now, verse 36. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in the house like a feast of a king. This is the man that didn't want to leave a little lamb. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife told, had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Did someone just clap? Sorry. <laughs> Verse 39 says, So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil, for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David went and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Wow. Okay. Now, we're not going to focus on that bit too much. <laughs> you know, but, but, the, <laughs> you know but, but the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, I said last week that it's important, you know, in First Peter chapter 3, the Bible says that a husband should honor his wife. Yeah, because you are heirs together of the grace of life. And you should treat her as the weaker vessel. Now, a vessel speaks about the body. She's not weaker. Her body is tender. You should treat her with honor. And you should deal with her tenderly because her vessel is a weaker vessel. Right? But then he says that you should do this. Otherwise, your prayers are going to be hindered. You see, the way you treat your wife, the Lord sees the way you treat your wife. Yeah? And that wife of yours, even though when you, give, when you got married, you know how they say, who gives this wife or this woman to this man? And the father or mother say, we do. And then they hand over ceremonially the wife to the husband and they walk away. So they are saying that, you know what? You are now with your husband. Yeah? Uh, if you have an argument, don't come home. You are with your husband. You guys solve it. That's what we do in our culture, and that's what they do all over the world. But you know, when that, was, that ceremony took place, the Lord was right there. And even though your parents-in-law go home after the wedding, the Lord goes home with you. He, doesn't ha he hands her over to you, as, uh, hand her over to you as, your, as your wife, but he does not leave her. He actually goes home with you. And he watches the way you deal with her. Yeah? And the Bible says that if you do not deal with your wife properly, your prayers will be hindered. And what you will find is that in your business and your life, God will, withstand, will stand against you. Now, in the life of Nabal, Nabal had dealt with his wife in a treacherous way. He had dealt with her harshly. This situation that happened with um, David, Abigail demonstrating her trust in God, still acted the way she would have acted on any other, any other occasion. She spoke well. Um, she defended, she helped her husband. She did what was necessary to save his life. Yeah? She acted with discretion. She acted with humility and tact. And she saved her husband's life. But you know, a time of judgment will always come. If we don't respond to the love of God, we don't respond to what God is trying to do in our houses and we keep resisting him, the Lord will, there is always judgment. Praise God. 
Yeah, so for every man in the house, understand that this is not a message to put your wife under your thumb because that your wife is still the daughter of Almighty God. But it's also a message for every woman that you must demonstrate your trust in God and irrespective of what is going on, use the power he has given you, the power of prayer, the power of discretion, the power of wisdom, the power of tact. We see another example of a, of a woman called Deborah. Deborah was a leader in Israel. Um, God had actually appointed Deborah to be a judge in Israel. Look at um, look of Judges real quick. Judges chapter 4. Because in all the other scenarios we looked at, these were wives um, and it, it, we've been dealing with their approach or their, um, the, the, the way they behaved in a godly manner in the context of marriage. But a woman is much more than a wife. Yeah, and even though in marriage um, her husband is uh, the head of that union, um, a wife is still in a place of leadership and a place of strength. And being submissive does not mean that you are subservient. I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes. Look at Deborah in Judges chapter 4. It says in verse 4 that now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at the time. This was before the era of kings. God appointed judges. And here a woman was appointed to be the judge over Israel. And she would sit under the palm tree um, of Deborah between Ram and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. They came up to her to um, solve problems, to... Um, arbitrate against um, um, difficulties. She was the judge over Israel. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali, of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will um, deploy Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I'll deliver him into your, uh, into your hand. This is the Lord speaking. And Barak said to her, If you will not go with me, or if you'll go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there shall be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell, will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went uh, to Barak, um, to Kadesh. And of course, um, she walked with the king and they, they overcame the enemy. And then in chapter 5, we see her speaking and, uh, and singing a song. And she said in verse 7, yes, verse 7, it says, Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, rose, I rose a mother in Israel. So we see a woman here in a place of leadership. But even in the expression of that leadership and that direction, we see her expressing discretion. She said, the king, king, this is your role. This is what you are meant to do in this particular situation. This is the counsel of God. You know, God didn't call prophets to lead armies. He called kings to lead armies. And she said, you know, my role in this situation is to give you the counsel of God um, to lead this army into battle. But this particular king, maybe it was a demonstration of the confidence he had in Deborah. He said, Deborah, I will go only if you go with me. That was the confidence he had in her. And she went with him 
into um, into the um, into the war um, and uh, joined in joined in lead in Israel, and uh, they actually overcame the enemy and they had victory for Israel. So we see women in different roles of leadership ordained by Almighty God. A woman can be called in any capacity. A woman can be a pastor. A woman can be a prophet. A woman um, can be anything God calls her to be. But in every expression and every call that God has put in your life, you have no reason to withdraw from femininity. You have no reason to think that, you know what, in order to be successful in this domain, I need to be like a man. You don't need to be like a man. Praise God. Because there is a glory that God has ordained that you demonstrate, and that glory is feminine in its, uh, to its very core. Now we see um, a lot of situations where that femininity that God has given the woman is being twisted. We see that in our day to day. Wow, is that the time? Okay, we see that in our day to day. And, um, and uh, it's important that we are not conformed to the world. We don't let the world squeeze us into its own mold. And in scripture, you see a lot of examples of where this has been twisted. You see Queen Vashti, that Esther um, um, took her position. Um, you see how she acted towards her husband. She was vain. She did not respect authority. Uh, we see people like Jezebel. Jezebel was very, um, was very immoral. Uh, she dealt in, in sorcery. She was very vindictive. Uh, and we see a lot of those attributes being pushed forward in our day-to-day as the way a woman is meant to be to act in order um, to stand her ground and to be considered an equal. But that is using the devil's strategies to win in the devil's fight. It's not going to work. Okay? It is important that we demonstrate our trust in Almighty God and use the weapons of, the warfare, of warfare that he has given us. Because that is the only way that you'll have God working with you. Amen. And we want God to walk with us. We, talked, we, we quoted Psalm 23 that talks about him walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's important that you have the Lord with you in every situation and his power available to you. But that can only happen if we are obeying his ways. Amen. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the door to opening uh, the strength of God in every situation, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our businesses. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, did you get something from the word this morning? Uh, let us just bless God and thank him for the word of God. Let's thank him for the word of God.